Hey everyone, this podcast is part of Story Mode, the podcast network of Gamefully Unemployed. You can support us and gain access to other great exclusive podcasts at patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. That's patreon.com slash g-a-m-e-f-u-l-l-y unemployed, which is spelled like it sounds. Hi, hi everyone. Uh, hello everyone. <laughs> My name, yeah. <laughs> my name is David Bell. Uh, my name is Tom Ryman. I am Jason Pargin. And oh boy, we just watched the Greasy Strangler and an evening with Beverly Luff-Lynn. Boy, my did goodness. we! My goodness, boy, did we! <laughs> <laughs> I thought free drinks were included in this tour. No. There's no free drinks. I don't know where you got that idea. It said in the brochure. The information you got is bullshit. We don't need even fizzy drinks. Just water would be enough. You got false information. We must have free drinks. No free drinks. Free drinks now. No free drinks. Come on, we want free drinks. Free drinks. We must have free drinks. No free drinks. 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 No free drinks. Fry drinking. Nix. Fry drink. You must give me free drinks immediately. Drop it with the free drinks crap. We believe in the power of free drinks. There are no free drinks. And if you're trying to rip me a new asshole, you're making a big mistake. I don't know if your listeners, do they tend to go watch the movies you guys talk about if they've not seen them yet? I Uh, don't know. It's a pretty pretty even split. Like sometimes, like I'll get messages from both where people just, they listen to us without having watched the movie. Um, okay. And then other times they'll be like, oh, this is a movie I wanted to watch. So I'm going to watch it first and then listen to the episode. But I think it's okay. like 50-50. So I yeah. will approach this discussion with the idea that we are warning some people and not and not just analyzing. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these are both films by um, Jim Hosking. Yeah. Uh, the director, at least. I, I, I believe he also wrote them. He, he at least co-wrote them. He did, yeah. Um, Co-wrote both with different co-writers each time. Yeah, the first one was Toby Harvard, or ha- yeah, Harvard, who did uh, uh, "Come to Daddy." He wrote that. If anybody has seen that, who did he co-write Beverly Luffelin with? David uh, Wyke, uh, who did? <laughs> he was in the movie Hitch. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, this all this all sounds correct. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this information. But Another connection I mean, that may help some people: the the Greasy Strangler was produced by Elijah Woods Production Company, Spectre Vision, and for instance, they did the two Nick Cage movies, uh, Mandy and Color Out of Space, recently. Yeah, Elijah uh, Woods got some cool taste. I would, yeah. 
the Greasy Strangler is nothing like those films. <laughs> no, but it is part of his mission to get stuff made that I think otherwise wouldn't get made. I think right. that's the connecting tissue there. And I do I do feel like the same type of person that liked Mandy may also like the Greasy Strangler. But I think above all, there, he has this distinct thing like... Uh, these are movies that maybe wouldn't have gotten funded under any like a non-crazy person, right? Um, so, Jason, you you brought these uh, to us, right? To there's watch. there's other stuff we could have done, like Project Power. I guess is a big movie that hit Netflix this weekend, but we were like, sure. nope, nope. Let's <laughs> let's do the Greasy Strangler and Beverly Loughlin. I mean, and I I feel good about this. I'm personally. trying to bring movies that are interesting uh even if uh there are people in my life that if i made them or asked them to watch the greasy strangler that would be the end of our friendship right they would never speak to you again yeah or they would think (laughs) it was a prank or and then there's there's like a a small sliver of people i know who would they would just be quoting it all the time that's what i that's what i love about both of these i don't know that i enjoyed watching either one of them but it kind of falls into that not to keep mentioning dragged across concrete every time i'm on the show but it falls <laughs> into that category of something where i don't know if i liked it it's i desperately want to talk about it it okay i think unlike dragged across concrete i think the world is better with the greasy strangler and beverly Lufflin in it personally mm-hmm. uh that doesn't mean it's for everybody I I laughed a lot at the Greasy Strangler. Uh, I didn't think I would. I'd been like sort of, I knew these movies existed and I, I, I had just never gotten around to them because I knew they were going to be a hard watch. Yeah. That's, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I'm glad you brought, you, you brought it to us because it's like, well, shit, now I have no choice. I'm going to have to sit and, and watch this movie. And, like, both of the movies feel like they take an eternity to watch. Yes. They're, uh, they're, they're real slogs. It's like, it's like John Waters by way of Tim and Eric is, like, the best way to describe them, I think. Especially the Greasy Strangler. Let's circle back briefly and explain the Greasy Strangler, because the title is maybe not that descriptive for people who've not seen it. Right. But the plot, just the plot sounds pretty straightforward where it's a father and a son and they both fall for the same woman and she kind of comes between them and this kind of you know it kind of gets into the feeling of inferiority some sons have for their fathers and this kind of competition that 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 males sometimes have between one another the extra layer of it is that the father is also a serial killer known as the greasy strangler yeah Yes, that <laughs> that is, uh, and then everything about the aesthetic of the movie is unlike anything you've probably seen. Where every single surface of every set, every costume, every hairstyle, every line of dialogue is designed to be as unpleasant as possible. Like the movie is almost punishing. In its yeah. tone and in the way everything is delivered, and it's not just like like gore and gross that stuff. There's like a weird rhythm to the speech. There's edits that hold way too long. There's comedy bits that go on five times longer than what they should. 
Like it just, it assaults every sensibility you can have from pacing to just the way people walk to like their tone of voice to the, the, their hair, everything about it is designed to kind of like push some, some button in you. It's, it's yeah it's one of the most deliberately repellent movies i've seen and it's like it's, it's like repellent in every possible way <laughs> and it's kind of in that sense it's kind of a, a, an achievement uh there's stuff in this that i'm like oh i wouldn't even think of that as a way to completely disgust me this movie did make my stomach hurt while watching it it's like yeah, it, this is a this is a very gross movie <laughs> That it's, doesn't even get at it because there's like some there's some comedies that are gross out comedies that yeah. are, don't even it you know like they're like Austin Powers movies have from have some gross out bits but you know my grandma can watch you know an Austin Powers movie right she probably would not enjoy the Greasy Strangler well <laughs> it's it, this and John Waters they do the same thing where they're like we don't movies like pretend like people aren't people a lot and these movies like. I mean, this isn't this isn't a good representation of people, but like they don't turn away from every part of the body and every bodily fluid, uh, and it's and it's stuff that we'd rather not see in movies. But they absolutely, it's unflinching. And there uh, are no like conventionally attractive people in the movie. Right. Everybody is weird looking. Everybody's got like a weird body or some sort of deformity or something. And that's just that's just the world that takes place in. Right. Um, Because, again, outside of movies, people are imperfect. You know, nobody looks like a movie star. Uh, But this this takes it this ramps it up. Yeah. It's uh, it's fascinating to watch. It reminds me a little bit of a, a lot of adult swim stuff. A lot of space goes coast to coast. Um, which will take a joke and drag it on for as long as possible and kill the joke and then revive it again it's, as yeah, it drags it on. It's that, it, it's not exactly like it because it's not as like, like none of the jokes are as over the, are, are quite as that over the top. Although some, like a lot of really over the top shit happens in this movie, but like, it's like the Will Ferrell sketch where like, I think it was Pierce Brosnan is interviewing for a job and he's just like an asshole boss. And at one point he stabs a guy to death with a trident (laughs) and he just keeps stabbing him for so long that like the audience stops laughing and then he just keeps doing it. So they start laughing again. Yeah. There's a lot of um, like the, one of the very first scenes is just these people, the, 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 the father and the son are taking a group of tourists out on a disco tour, um, wearing matching pink (laughs) disco outfits. Um, and they start arguing about free beverages on the tour, and it goes on for like three minutes. Yeah. It feels like, and it's one of the opening scenes of the movie. Like yeah. it's, and it's just this totally inconsequential argument that just goes on in a loop. It, it doesn't progress. The stakes don't raise. It just goes back and forth until long past anyone is still engaged with it. But it just keeps, it just keeps going. And it's, it comes in, it's great that it comes in so early because like this is setting the tone. This is what you're in for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's letting people know right away. Like, look, um, if you're not into this, you should turn this off right now. <laughs> They're also doing things, subtle things that you might not notice are repelling you. Like, for example, there's no um, ambient sound in these scenes. Uh, it's only dialogue music. 
like there's no sounds of the wind or the street Mm -hmm. uh when they cut away from characters like when they're chanting free drinks whenever they cut away from them uh their sounds go away like their chants go away uh and it's not because they're they don't know how to make movies they're doing it on purpose to make to make you feel as uncomfortable like as something feels wrong all the time uh you mentioned the pacing of the editing like everything stays a little too long uh when he he whips out his ass on them and right. like when when you in a comedy when someone pulls out their ass it's shown for like um they always show it for like a half a second it's a they pretty never fast show it cut yeah 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 and this they just they let you they let you really look at it and he just right. sits there and they, cut, they cut and they cut to other characters who have a couple lines of dialogue and then they cut back and he's still bent over with his ass out yeah um I do want to, <laughs> what David said about how it's almost an achievement, I do want to hit that point because there's a quote from John Waters about how if you're going to make something that's in this bad of taste, you actually have to have really good taste. Right. right. Because you have to have this extremely precise idea of what sensibilities you're offending. So someone like me who I, you know, I, I'm obviously always on here promoting my books like i work in horror and shock humor things like that i will always run into people where it's like well why why can you like write something serious and from my point of view it's like no you have to understand what i'm doing here is requiring all of the skill that i have this is <laughs> this is as good as it gets. I'm not, I'm not saying that I could write a more serious book if I, if, like, if I set my mind to it. Maybe I couldn't. But what I'm doing is actually really hard, or at least it's really hard for me. Uh, because it's, yeah, you can do shock humor or gross out humor poorly. But to do something like this where it almost dares you to stop watching, and I, I couldn't I couldn't turn it off. Uh, it it does take some skill. This is, that's, and I think the people who hate this or who could like think we're playing a prank on them by asking them to watch it. I think that would be the easy thing to say. It's like, well, they just went for the easy, like, you know, constant poop humor or whatever. I think making something this uncomfortable actually takes a great deal of, of care. Same with like Tim and Eric. I think they used to get offended when people, lots of reviewers and press would talk about, ah, this is a perfect show to watch when you're high. And they're both like, we're not stoners. Like, this is not, this right, is actually right. really hard. Make Like, doing absurdist stuff like this and where everything's just a little bit skewed and a little bit wrong, this is actually done with a great deal of care. We're not just getting high and yeah. saying stuff. The, the South Park guys said the same thing where it's like, they get that question. It's like, no, we're not high when we're writing this. We, this is like really hard. <laughs> Terry Gilliam's another one who says that as well. Yeah. Where they're like, you've taken acid. And he's like, no. No, I don't. I don't. I don't take drugs. <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah. It's like my favorite aspect of it. Um, these again, like I'm gonna echo Jason. I don't know that I had necessarily a good time watching these movies, but I did. There are several parts that I laughed at, and there's definitely things that I appreciate about both these movies. I think my favorite aspect is something that you definitely need to be at least a director who's like with with some level of talent because one of my favorite aspects is the fact that the the acting in this movie is so bad in both movies but it's so precisely bad 
Right. Like it's, because... it's bad in a very specific way. Like it's, it's people waiting too long for their cue. It's people delivering the line with the complete wrong emotion. Um, it's stuff like that where it's like, it's, it's really just, you have to understand what a regular, how a regular scene would play out and then be able to, to be able to identify, okay, here's the play parts where I can tweak it so that it's weird and stupid and funny. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, definitely. You need this. I think this guy's probably pretty good or at least has a real solid grasp of like what, like he, of what good of what good taste is because otherwise he wouldn't be able to pinpoint the things that he does in this movie um both and i th- i think this is more evident in um in beverly luff um it's it's very much uh it, it reminds me of stella a lot too yes. where they yeah. know they know the tropes and beats of movies um especially in beverly luff and what what makes it fun to watch is that it's a realization of like everything we write in normal movies is completely arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Um, Beverly Luff, um, one of the characters. Um, uh, um, oh man, I forgot his name. Um, the romantic rival, but the 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 person who Col- plays Beverly Luff. Colin Luff. or, 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 or uh, Craig Robinson. Craig Robinson. Oh, Craig Robinson. He's Beverly Luff. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's supposed to be like the plot of Beverly Luff. And I don't want to, we probably shouldn't jump through the, like between the movies too much, but, um, is that it's, it's, it's Aubrey Plaza and Jermaine, uh, Clement. Um, and he's in love with her and they're on a road trip and she's obsessed with Craig Robinson's character. So he's like the romantic rival who's seen as deep. And for most of the movie, all he does is grunt. Yeah, he doesn't say All he does is grunt. Because when you think about it, what does he need to say? We know the trope of his character. If yeah. this was uh, If this was a... A Kevin James film or an Adam Sandler film or a Will Ferrell film, he would be a certain person. He would be played by like a Zac Efron, and he would have a bunch of dumb jokes. So like, what? Why not? Like, why not just have him grunt? And and like, it's 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 taking all the tropes, all the beats, all all the exact like uh, points of like a three act structure, and just saying like, well, it's all make believe. This is all bullshit. So why not just make it this? Uh, and I say Greasy Strangler is also that. Like, as Jason described, it's a it's a fairly straightforward plot at first uh, with just added madness. I wanna uh, s- go on. I just want to circle back for a moment. The reason we're doing both of these movies in the same episode, there's a specific reason because the Greasy Strangler came first and it is kind of exists as this underground like film festival favorite that is just kind of this curiosity that when I saw it, I assumed I was the only person who'd ever watched it. You know, I found it on streaming (laughs) and evening with Beverly Laughlin is an all-star comedy cast that came out on Netflix that has like six different, like Aubrey Plaza and Jermaine Clement from, you know, what we do in the shadows and fly the concords and Matt Berry from a whole bunch of BBC shows and what we do in the shadows and, Craig Robinson of The Office fame uh, and many, many, many other shows. Like, it is a an, an all-star lineup. So, The Greasy yeah. Strangler, this movie we've just been describing that is like this punishing, you know, ordeal, 
that got this guy a follow-up that apparently every cool comedian in Hollywood wanted to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As because w- they were all working for a fraction of what they would normally get paid, I'm going to guess. Yeah. Yeah. They every were all... Cool- yeah, they were all really into the greasy stuff. Like, like Drake, yeah. James Franco wrote like a, a, a column about it. Um, <laughs> like everybody in, in sort of like the the Apatow comedy sphere is really into the greasy strangler. Yeah, yeah, it checks so, out. So I wanted to talk about both of them because the second one is maybe a little bit more of a mainstream movie, but it's, it's, it's way more palatable. But it still has the same tone where it's like it's daring you to watch it but i think they they're kind of a fascinating pair to compare and contrast with each other but i i this is the thing was because i do feel like the greasy strangler is the type of movie that other comedians love in the way that they love like that aristocrat stroke where the entire point is it's not anything like you've been in before and it's right. nothing like where so much of what it plays with is you've seen this bit a million times you know what it's supposed to look like so when it comes in two seconds too late you feel it but you only feel it if you've seen a ton of of comedies and you know what to expect if that makes sense yeah it's, it it's norm mcdonald uh, doing like dad jokes at a roast, right? And His only t- the comedians laughing, <laughs> right? <laughs> like no, nobody laughing, but the comedians are in the back howling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the That's, entire point is that yeah, it's it's those corny jokes coming out of his delivery, and it just doesn't fit. And that's it. Right. That said, I I Tom, you said you laughed at this. Yes. The Greasy Strangler made me laugh. Not in that perspective it just made me laugh like an like like a dummy would laugh like a real like a real dummy well, like when got, he's in that car wash and he's screaming yeah and every a- time they show that i couldn't stop laughing and then they cut to just his prosthetic penis flapping uh, as they're drying him off yeah, and it's the his- pacing of those two shots made me laugh every time even when i knew they were coming right because <laughs> i'm a child I'm going to guess no one in the listenership has watched this movie, or very few of them have. I wonder if we should explain what scene we're talking about when we just mentioned in (laughs) passing. Well, like when he's in the car wash and his giant penis. Yeah, (laughs) his his hideous dick plays a huge role in this movie. Okay, so let let me again set the scene for people who have not watched it. (laughs) Please do. It's It's a romantic triangle between a... The dad character's name, Big Ronnie. Everyone's first name is Big something. Right. His son is named Big Braden, um, and they are competing for the love of, I think Janet is the woman's name. Yes, yeah. The, the father, who is also secretly the greasy strangler, covers himself in a solid inch of grease and strangles people to death until their eyeballs pop out. Uh, yes. And then he usually eats them or on at least one occasion. The it's very trauma the gore is very trauma films like it's not it's not realistic gore it's like it's cartoon gore yeah so yeah. the father big ronnie has a giant penis a, a prosthetic yeah. penis he wears pants with a transparent window that shows off his penis <laughs> as it's kind of like crammed and distorted against his thigh um, which apparently looking at reading some of the behind the scenes materials, that was a challenge to deal with because it had to be in exactly the right position. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then his son, Big Braden, has a tiny penis prosthetic that he wears. Uh, both of them are naked quite a bit. Yes, yeah. it can probably can probably be be surmised from what we're saying. Right. Uh, and so after the greasy strangler has finished killing people, he always goes into a car wash that is run by a blind man and runs himself through the car wash, but tells the blind guy that he's running his car through it. Right. Because he got his car, his car greasy is what he keeps telling him. Uh, but in yeah. reality, he's just standing there with his giant prosthetic penis flapping around. Mm-hmm. And then as he is secretly the greasy strangler and killing many people in about 50% of the conversations he has with someone, he, he interrupts with, I bet you think I'm the greasy strangler, don't you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's how <laughs> Because he also, he That's also the- requires um, grease on everything he eats. Yeah, like a, a, a repulsive amount. And that's the very first scene, incidentally, is his son coming yeah. in to wake him up. And he says, I bitch. I say, oh, he's, what, he doesn't say that. He says, like, I'm the, I'm the greasy strangler. And it's like, you're a bullshit artist, which is a repeated motif <laughs> in the movie. Fucking yeah. bullshit artist. Perfect. Yeah. It's, Just it's to be the, clear, at that point in the movie, we have not heard anything about the greasy strangler nope. or seen any murders <laughs> or heard any reference to it. The first time we hear the word spoken or any mention of in the movie is him saying, I bet he's like demanding that he get, he wants grease in his coffee instead of, instead of milk. I think Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm so into grease. I bet you think I'm the greasy strangler. He's like, no one said that. He's like, well, I am the greasy strangler. He says, yeah, you're a bullshit artist. That's, that's apropos of nothing. Like you don't see him commit murders and none of those words are totally meaningless. (laughs) At that yeah, point of the movie. It's, it's the first three minutes of the movie. Yeah. And then the second three minutes of the movie is someone arguing about that they expected free drinks. Yes. On their, <laughs> his, his day jobs, he gives walking tours of, it's a disco walking tour of famous disco acts, but it's never, it's just like, here's like a doorway where the Bee Gees were standing when they discussed they were going to write staying alive. They were waiting for someone to pick them up, but it's just, right. a, it's just a doorway. It's not marked by anything. Um, but it's, that's not even like that could have been played for a joke, but then instead you spend several minutes with just the tour group insisting they had been promised free drinks and then him shouting back, no one promised you free drinks. And it just goes back and forth and back and <laughs> forth like that for a very, for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and at that point in the movie, it, it's, you've now had two scenes where it has tested your patience in two very different ways, but it does not ease you into its universe at all. <laughs> it's. No, you're pretty much no, you're not pretty even just right. You're pretty much just right in it. This the the style of humor, because um, it's not j- like they do go for jokes in these movies, um, and it's not always just playing with. Well, actually, it is always playing with your sensibilities. But the style of humor, it this kind of reminded me of like a, a like a really. Um, R-rated version of like Napoleon Dynamite. Oh yeah. I like that, that that kind of humor where it's it's just it's there's there's no real jokes it's just like the off kilter things that people do and say like i don't laugh out loud at tim and eric but <laughs> but i but i watch it that doesn't mean i don't like mm. it it's just for me that's not what it is and i don't think i laughed out loud at napoleon dynamite but i watched it and enjoyed it because to me it's not that kind of comedy for me something that's going to make me laugh out loud it's usually some sort of a there's an actual setup and and a punchline or a beat 
Here it's more like like Napoleon Dynamite takes place in an alternate universe, right? Yes, yeah. It takes yeah. place yeah. in a universe where everything is the eighties for some reason and it's a little bit weird and the rules are different from what they are in real life and just the way people behave and that's it. It's just like a literal surreal trip. And and Tim and Eric is like that too, where everything is this um it's got this sensibility of like public access TV and all that, but it's not it's rare that I would just laugh, laugh out loud at it here. I think the only one that I can remember laughing, actually laughing at was the story. Big Ronnie tells about, he's clearly lying. Like he's BSing Janet trying to play Michael Jackson, the Michael Jackson. And tells him the, the story that, yeah, claim cause he, claims to have been a part of the disco scene for years and i'm not going to read i have the transcript over here i'm not going to read the whole thing but it's like i used to run a nightclub i booked all the disco acts i knew them personally one time i had to drive michael jackson to the airport and on the way we decided to stop at this little blues club because he wanted to kick back with a bottle of wine and a cigar <laughs> it, it was a quiet night. He was eating these delicious nachos. I broke into the D- DJ booth and put smooth criminal on the sound system. Broke I wanted to boogie DJ. and I, I wanted to boogie and so did Michael. He got up and started dancing on the table and the security card came up and tried to take him down. So I punched him the fuck out. <laughs> it's just like it's, it's, his lies just keep stacking until a couple of Korean girls start hitting on them, and then he and Michael take them and back and both have violent sex with them while yeah. everyone is watching and applauding. Everybody <laughs> claps. <laughs> yeah, and even the way I'm reading it is far inferior to the way he reads it because he's got this robotic tone where. <laughs> It's clear he's lying, but it's like it's the scripted story that he's he's told many times, and that she just immediately believes it's like, wow, you must have led a really exciting life. I guess that's as close to like a bit you could hear in a Will Ferrell movie, though. So maybe yeah. that that's telling on myself that it, the thing that I laughed at most was the most <laughs> like traditional. Wait, a, he has a cup. I mean, it is it it is kind of Will Ferrellly, but like he tells a, a a much less crazy story later about like how John Travolta said that Braden was like a good baby or something. <laughs> um, there's a lot of. The because um, people believe the stories. This this is a very Stella thing, where like when they call the detective, what's the detective's name? Jody. Jody, Detective Jody, <laughs> detective. and it's clearly just Big Ronnie uh, with press on nails and, and a brace and fake braces. And they just, <laughs> it's fake braces, and they just treat him like he's perfectly in disguise. Right. That felt very Stella to me, where it's like characters are just like extremely stupid in weird moments the, um, does everybody the f- in the audience know who stella is you keep saying it's like stella do they think right. that's a, a woman uh, they're referring to or do we have to explain we might have to it's the offshoot of the state that had david wayne michael showalter and michael ian black um i heard a good description of them which was the marx brothers on acid which is they 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 were they had like one season maybe two on comedy central mm-hmm. they did a lot of web um, stuff before that too yes um and it's very like car- it's like cartoony almost kids jokes mixed with like really adult things right like there's uh, a sketch like there's a very three stooges kind of yeah like marks Brothers kind of sketch where they're like pretending to be doctors and they just take it to the the conclusion where they're actually performing surgery on people that's well there's yeah they did that in stella where their landlord is um 
they they it's very cartoony of them trying to please their landlord and he kicks them out and they show up dressed in mustaches as wealthy businessmen to get the apartment back and he completely believes it and then and then he has a heart attack because he realizes it's them so they perform gory surgery on him and just murder him yeah and then they're like oh that sucks and then someone comes in and he's like actually he was a famous nazi doctor so you did a good thing <laughs> and then they're like oh yay and then it ends yeah. um, and these are the guys that made uh wet hot american summer is that the yeah movie? Yes, yeah and uh, yeah because david wayne kind of is a big deal in the industry they've all everybody involved in that has made a bunch of other stuff since mm-hmm. then yeah um, but that I don't know. Yeah, I do. I think that sensibility is that's the first time I think I really started to see it become a thing. And I don't know if there's a specific school of comedy they all came from or or what. I don't know. I, yeah, like I think the state was the first place that I saw that style. Yeah. Um, but well, obviously, obviously they didn't invent it. It's just yeah. I would go all the way back to Monty Python with this stuff, right? That's, yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah, there's it's a lot. Absurdist, gory. If, um and, kind of and if you watch um like you can watch uh flying circus which is their tv show on netflix yeah. right now and a lot of the sketches do test your patience yeah oh yeah <laughs> they, i mean they in, do play with shit like that one of the best freaking parts in um in holy grail is when he's running up on the castle and he's <laughs> keep cutting back to him still kind of far away and he never gets any closer until he's suddenly close yeah um but that did have that's essentially a visual setup and punchline yes yeah um i think absurdist humor evolved since then to being like what if there isn't even a punchline what if there's neither (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's no setup and no punchline and everything's just weird but that is a good example though because like that the whole bit which some of the people out there can visualize in their head and some have never seen it but it's playing with you're you've seen a million scenes and you know what editing is supposed to look like and it just they just make the shots not match up it just doesn't yeah and that's it it's just it's and it's hilarious but it's only hilarious because you've seen many 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 scenes and you know what it's supposed to look like i think the greasy strangler is it's specifically aimed at people that have been watching, you know, movies through the 90s and the 2000s and, and all that, and especially have been watching comedies and the way that just it, people in movies are all very smooth and they're very personable and very charismatic and they're all very sexy even then a comedy even a comedy about losers everybody's pretty attractive and you know and you can when they shoot in in a comedy if you have like a loser's apartment like their dirty apartment is still pleasant to look at because just by right. the rules of cinema there's like a messy apartment but it's not like a real uh, you know a meth user's apartment back in the small town where i'm from you know it's not going to look like that it's going to be messy in a hollywood way just as you know like a an overweight woman in in a hollywood movie would be a thin woman out in the world it's like the rules are different but everyone treats her as the gross fat girl because she she weighs 135 pounds or or whatever Mm -hmm. it's like it's like that whereas it's here is like okay we're we're actually going to have people who cannot communicate in a way that's 
pleasant and they cannot and that they they are not charismatic at all or they have right. no you know everything about how they relate to other people and everything about how they talk and just it's that layer of pleasantness that you never know is there with movies until it's suddenly gone <laughs> yeah <laughs> the uh yeah, like the house itself, I was reading some stuff about behind the scenes. The house they filmed in was a real problem because it had black mold and it was disgusting. Uh, and you can tell while watching. Yeah, it, it, it's a real piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think and all yeah. the locations have been scouted carefully to be unpleasant in a specific way. Even the exteriors, oh, sure. like everything is just, it's very depressing, but also... Just, yeah. just weird again a lot of a lot of care went into to everything i think if you pause it and look at what everyone is wearing you'll see that every item of clothing has been chosen very carefully yeah the only beautiful place is the ending in the forest where they kill ricky prickles <laughs> uh, which is the best name of the uh yeah of, of the movie uh i want to point out the ending because the ending is incredible. I yeah, thought. the ending yeah, is really insane. Give a play by play of how of how it winds up. <laughs> because all right, they're 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 fighting over Janet, and she's she's sort of gone back and forth between the between them, um, and in the end, his Janet his his father, the greasy strangler, like kidnaps Janet. And the son is like, all right, well, I, I can do this, too. And he gets in the father's grease because it's like, you know, mask he's a- off. He's the greasy strangler. Everybody knows it. So he covers himself with grease and he also becomes a greasy strangler. And we should note that when he covers himself in grease, it's like a prosthetic suit. Like, it's, yeah. it's he's looks like a monster. And so now the son does, too. He finds them in the movie theater, runs in and starts choking Janet himself uh and bonds with his father over choking the love interest of the movie until her eyes pop out and then they go to the beach and reconcile and then they go to the woods uh or no and then they decide to kill ricky prickles which is the the father's um ex-wife the mother of his, his, his son it's his stepfather his stepfather yeah. yeah and they kill him in the woods and then they uh run around and uh come upon a firing squad that appears to be also killing them uh like uh, doppelgangers of them tied to trees and they shoot them and then their heads explode and with confetti and champagne comes out and then the last shot is them like climbing up on a mountain with pointed sticks and just sort of like growling and pointing the sticks at the camera and it cuts it cuts away and that's the film. And that's how it ends. <laughs> right. Because, because like, again, in, in the typical plot, the whole thing would be eventually the father and son realize like, no, we can't let this woman like the family right? bond is deeper. And we're like, it, this is really about our competition with each other and not about her. And we have to reconcile and realize what, you know, why this matters. Um, it's just the, the way they choose to execute that resolution is just uh, it's just madness. It's just. Yeah. Because it's it's like Monty Python, where at the end the cops come and arrest them all. It's like that's as good as an ending as any. Like this uh, right. movie's got to end, and so this is just like yeah, fuck it. <laughs> but the, but the joke is, you've seen this movie a million times. You know what the resolution is supposed to look like, 
and there's only a couple of ways it can go and we're not we're not going to go there no we're not it's going to be actually very difficult to describe where we choose to go with this (laughs) it's this it's still like yeah it's the it's the son realizing that he's like his father and coming to terms with that but in the movie that translates to the son covering himself in grease and strangling his girlfriend becoming a serial killer right yeah and then they eat her eyes um i want to point out by the way the co-writer of this who wrote come to daddy which is about elijah wood coming to meet his estranged father also did the abcs of death short that's g is for granddad so everything this writer has done has to do with fathers and sons for some reason (laughs) and i don't know what i don't know what i don't know what that means (laughs) i don't know what that means yeah exactly but it means something yeah clearly it means something yeah um there is oh go on well i was just gonna say there's some interesting behind the scenes stuff to talk about because it's on like on imdb the actor that plays big ronnie i guess this was his first starring role and that for michael st michael's yeah for decades he had been like a, a background actor which i think you just get paid like like twelve dollars an hour to just be in the background of things right um but he claimed to have been the in the 70s he was a jet-setting hairdresser for the world's elite but i (laughs) guess the director jim hoskins i guess he said in an interview that he doesn't think that's true he could not find any evidence of that being true (laughs) (laughs) but if you look at him he looks like a 70s famous hairdresser like he looks like that's that's the where he came from which like that's what makes him perfect for this movie like he's got a very interesting face and you can't you can't forget it uh but i don't i don't know what that means other than i i I would like to know more but he apparently if nothing else he tells people that it's weird (laughs) to think about um him as an actor because he does he does things in this movie that you're like well i would never do that on camera uh give the listeners an example uh you pretty much see his his butthole like he he does a he he flips on the bed backwards uh uh exposes his ass and farts uh like 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 a jackass stunt yeah um he he is constantly mostly naked as is the other guy but it's very it's it's just it's very undignified and like listening to the commentary on him and like seeing an interview with him he's just like yeah i mean i'm an actor i'm just doing what the director told me to do and it's like surely it can't just be that <laughs> you get a lot of that though in the cast interviews because the actress that plays janet said the same thing uh and the guy uh, i guess he must know the Braden sky elbar because he turns up in beverly Laughlin. Yeah, i think he, he does, was one of the yeah. first roles cast but they all were like were very nervous and it's like their family's going to see this and you don't think about actors going through that because you you figure well you're an actor it's your job but it's so much of this plays like a bunch of people who are deliberately trying to end their hollywood careers yes Yes. (laughs) but that's why i I wanted to do both movies because i find it so fascinating that these people they're all all unknowns totally unknowns it's in this in the greasy strangler like they all got on board and was like, "What do we have to lose?" Yeah. Like, like we're gonna trust this guy and we're just gonna we're just gonna go for it. And and then Elijah Wood, who's you know spending his Lord of the Rings money this way, 
uh, you know, using his influence basically to get movies like this made and, and getting the funding for it. And it's just trusting that it's going to be something. And then from that, he gets like his mainstream big Netflix movie. Uh, that's in, that's almost a lesson for people trying to break into whatever, whether it's even just being a YouTuber or writing books or, or whatever, making movies, man, make your weird thing stand out. Yeah. Because if your goal is like, well, I, you know, I, I watch a, a, a show like the Sopranos. I think I'd like to make that someday. It's like, yeah, but if you just write the Sopranos or, or whatever, or your version of it, probably nobody's going to notice. Uh, but if you just take the weirdest idea you've got, you might be shocked by how much it does connect with people because here's something where, again, I, when I first saw it, I thought I'm one of like 12 people that's rented this movie. Like there's no way anyone else has even, <laughs> right. has even seen this. I, I think I rented it cause I thought the title was funny and the description sounded funny. And it's like, eh, you know, it's like this weird, this weird horror movie. I actually thought it was a slasher movie. Um, and then you find out, Oh no, among, among actual creatives who can get projects made, they, they all loved it. And you'd be surprised. I, I in some way found that out myself too, but you know, the, you mentioned South Park earlier. You know, that's how Matt Stone or Trey Parker made like this incredibly profane short. Um, they didn't try to make like their version of The Simpsons, like the most the most well-honed, polished show they could make. They made the most profane, insane thing with this art style made of literal cardboard or construction paper cutouts. And it, it set the world on fire. They're billionaires now because of that. Right. Make make your weird thing. There is no chance that your idea is too weird to be made. None. <laughs> yeah. Looking at uh, Beverly Luff-Lynn, what, the, what usually happens is they love that weird thing. And then they're like, okay, now let's make it a little less weird. Yeah. Uh, and if we want to move on to that one, that's fine. Unless there's other, if there's more factoids about the Greasy Strangler we've not covered yet. I, I mean, I could talk about the Greasy Strangler for days. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, let's. I mean, we can talk about the other movie. All right, we might jump back. I'd say because yeah, if I, I mean, remember it's, it's, something, there, or... there's a lot of the same. It's 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 a lot of the same points to be made about both films. Honestly. Yeah, yeah no. I mean, the big difference is I already pointed out that uh, Beverly Laughlin has a bunch of well-known actors in it. Yeah. Um, that's fucking uh, Emil Hirsch for some reason. Um, he might have been my favorite character. <laughs> he's, he's doing, he's giving it his best. Uh, he's doing like 70s sleazeball bad guy. Um, yeah. His name is Shane Danger. <laughs> well, they, okay. Giving characters wacky names is another thing that's considered like the lowest form of comedy, I guess. Cause you mentioned like Ricky prickles and yeah. the, the last movie, but like the character named names in an evening with Beverly Laughlin, it's Lulu danger, uh, Colin Keith, the Redner, Shane danger, Ronnie Von Donkensteiger, <laughs> Beverly Laughlin, Mitch Stemp, Tyrone Paris, Carl Ronk, <laughs> Uh, it's like this is it's important to them that everyone have a stupid name which again in a lesser movie it'd be like okay uh, you know like like that's something like you write in middle school where everybody's got like right. a, his name is is Dr. Fudge Penis uh, but here it's, it's never 
Because everyone in the movie is obviously playing it straight. No one ever laughs in this movie. No one knows they're in a ridiculous universe, right? Like, everyone is dead serious all the time. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's Also, everybody has a... F- <laughs> they're not, like, laugh out loud funny, but, like, everybody's license plate is, like, a really s- silly word. <laughs> See, I didn't even catch that. You know, yeah, like, neither did I. Like, uh, Shane Danger's license plate is Bubbles. Uh, Colin's license plate says Sizzlin. <laughs> or, or maybe, no, wait, maybe that might be Beverly Loughlin's license plate. But like, yeah, every time you see a license plate in the movie, it's it's a vanity plate that's a single word. And it's it's always just like a very silly word. And I don't oh. know. That, that, that tickled me for why some not? reason. Yeah, why not? Like, that's, I think that's a perfect uh, like microcosm for the whole thing where they're like, look, we have to have license plates in these shots. Why not have them be dumb? Yeah. Like, why not have them be silly? Well, it's the same with the names. It's like, you got to write a name. Might as well be something stupid. And like, there's a subplot or, or a MacGuffin in this movie, which is a, a, a lockbox of cash mm-hmm. that gets stolen. That kind of like kicks off the, the plot in a lot of ways. Yeah. But the box is like covered in fur. Yeah. Or, right. but, it, you, but there's never like a close up of it. Like, it's just taken for granted like no one remarks on it or notices it it just is in that universe that's what a box full of money looks like it's a luxurious furry box (laughs) yeah why not well yeah i the casual weirdness them all being at like the laundromat and they're all they're all in their underwear right like they're washing the clothes they were currently wearing they're just standing there in their underwear yeah but also never never commented upon it just exactly yeah yeah no one no one in the movie notices this or thinks it's odd um i'd say emil hirsch is the one who also is the most willing to get in a thong for this movie uh <laughs> to get to get because like that's the one thing this movie's doesn't have that the greasy strangler has which is it's way less gross there's less nudity there's no prosthetic genitals mm-hmm. uh and it does feel like in part because we have actors and actresses in this who are like, no, <laughs> like I, I have a, I have a agent and a lawyer here and these are the things I will do. And these are the things I won't. And they're like, all right, we can work with that because be- it was more important to get these people than to be super weird. Right. Though, to be fair, this is a different genre. The Greasy Strangler was a horror movie. That's true. And that's a movie that would have, you know, a lot of gross body horror and stuff like that. And this is like a romantic comedy, I guess. It's, it's like okay. it's a setup. And of also kind of like a, a little bit of like a crime drama. Yeah, uh, well, this is funny. On IMDb, Greasy Strangler is comedy, comma, horror. This is comedy, comma, crime. Yeah. On IMDb. So that's also part of it. I don't want to accuse the guy of like selling out for this because no, it may just no, be this like a different aesthetic that he went with. But one thing is that it's easy to watch The Greasy Strangler if you watch it first and think that the stilted delivery is because these are all amateur actors. Right. Whereas here, these are all obviously stars and it's the same it's the same thing like it's yeah. the same weird pauses when you realize oh this is a this is a, a choice they're making because i i can't what's the opening scene is it in the, the opening coffee shop the opening scene is emil hirsch walking out of his office and just no look pointing off screen at the counter and being like what is that 
Like it's the right. it's the winter roast. Why is it on display? I don't know. I was excited about having a winter roast, and then they just they go back and forth about this winter roast. But yeah, the first thing you see is just him walking out of the office, looking very intense, but his name tag very conspicuously says Shane Danger. <laughs> it's and, and he has like a seventies porn stash. Oh, it's so good. If yeah, you, that's. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Well, it's almost funnier that it's on Netflix because the Greasy Strangler you have to pay to watch. Yeah, um, it's on I, Amazon. Prime. I watched it for free on IMD, IMDb TV with commercials, <laughs> <laughs> which meant which meant that during the scene when the guy gets his bag of chips stuck in the in the vending machine and they have a long conversation about what the chips are made of and then the greasy strangler shows up and strangles them, <laughs> right after that scene ended, it came up with an ad for I shit you not a bag of chips. Oh, perfect! <laughs> like, it was like a they it knew. was like a Lay's like, look- commercial. <laughs> Like people are gonna want Lay's right after. It's like this. I have never wanted chips less in my life than I yeah. do this moment, <laughs> and they swooped in with that ad. But Perfect. An evening with Beverly Laughlin is on Netflix, so you can yeah. be yeah. watching some, you know, an episode of The Office or whatever, and reach the final episode of that, and have it automatically deliver you into an evening with Beverly Laughlin. So. If you're just your casual watching some romantic comedies on Netflix viewer. Because the Greasy Strangler, there's a filtering process where you're probably not going to find that movie unless you go looking for it. Like, like yeah. the world does not spring the Greasy Strangler on you. <laughs> but that's not true of An Evening with Beverly Laughlin. And I know that Netflix got rid of their star rating system probably for situations just like this. Because so many people would, like, bombard that with, with like, one, one star or whatever. Because... If you're just watching it, it's like, oh, this has got uh, the girl from Parks and Rec and uh, the guy from the warehouse and, and the office and all these other people. This will be fun. And there's, there's just interminable conversation about the coffee. Um, <laughs> and the guy he's having the conversation with, that's that's with Big Braden, right? That's with um, Sky he's talking, to Ty- he's talking to Tyrone in that scene, but Big Braden is the cashier that works with uh, Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, and they have, he, they have like a scene where he starts like doing weird dancing. Is a, is another through line between these two oh, movies? Yeah. He starts doing this weird dance, and she's like, "Are you break dancing?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm popping and locking or something." It's yeah, but, but but he's not. Is no, the thing. he's just mo- no. he's, he has his arms straight out at his side, and he's moving his arms in a very in very tight concentric circles. And that's all he's doing. Uh, yeah, and it's and, and I don't know how long that person, this hypothetical viewer, would watch this before thinking there was something wrong with their television or or something <laughs> like because it just doesn't go anywhere. It just doesn't seem to scenes don't seem to build to anything <laughs> or. Or if they do, there's no logic to how they got there. Like people are just inexplicably angry out of the blue, and and so on. And yeah, yeah. Um, it's Marina watched I think four minutes of the movie, and then she was like, <laughs> "I can't, <laughs> I can't do well, it." It's like it's the comedy equivalent of like a Terrence Malick film. Uh, like I'm reminded of the story. I think it was Tree of Life. Where that movie when they, they, play, they played the reels in the wrong order. They yeah. played the reels in the wrong order in another in a cinema, and the audience did not notice. <laughs> <laughs> the 
because why would they this is the same where it's like any like i i guess that happens after that or before that or i guess this is happening whatever like it's all it's all a fever dream it's it's completely uh, like uh, it's one of my favorite parts about this is how much they throw things away i love that um jermaine um clement's um introduction is he's just a guy who's willing to get this guy's money for him for 200 bucks yeah and the scene where they invite him inside the house was very funny just conceptually Mm -hmm. because he shows up like with a gun at shane danger's house to take the lockbox back um and he knocks on the door and shane answers and then his uh, Lulu is outside and she's like, Oh, is this the party man? He's like, uh, I guess. And she's like, well, why don't you invite the party man in she for says, a drink? Are you the party man party man? Yeah. I think is what she says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, much like the Which opening, nonsense. right? Much nonsense. like the opening scene of the greasy strangler. We don't, the party man has not, that's not a thing that's been discussed. Like we don't, <laughs> that's not referencing anything we've seen. It's completely out of the blue. And so like, she's like, why don't you invite the party man in for a drink? And they do like, he, he sits on the couch in between his friends and he like makes them this really weird drink. That's full of like whoppers. All, all the drinks they, uh, they're all insane. Yeah. They're all insane. It's like chocolate bars and yeah. candy and mixed with booze. And they all have like ridiculous names. Like a rum randy or something like, like, like a, that. Like a, like, rum, like a rum and tumbly, I think was one rum, of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, they like, they have like why a, not? Why not? Yeah. Why, why, why not? They have like a two minute scene before they realize that nobody knows who Jermaine is. Yeah. <laughs> why? And then he takes out the gun, Aubrey Plaza steals the gun, and then just says, you're coming with me. Yeah. And then they're on a road trip, and he's in love with her. Yeah. Because, again, who cares? Who gives a <laughs> shit? Like, the, we, the, we're making a romantic, like, uh, road trip movie. Uh, does it really matter how these two get together? We, that's, like, it's all arbitrary. It's all make-believe. So why not this? And then that's just the movie. <laughs> Like the movie that you think that it's like about a lockbox. No, it's not. No, it's 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 a, it's about this. It's about going to a hotel. She's going to a hotel where they're holding this event, an evening with Beverly Laughlin. The, the posters that advertise this event, it's like a cardboard standee of Craig Robinson's character Beverly Laughlin, but his eyes are like lit up red. <laughs> Like, yeah, a de- like, like a demonic, de- right? Like a haunted house decoration, yeah, and it's, it's never explained what an <laughs> evening with Beverly Laughlin is. Like, what does he do? Is he like a motivational speaker? Is it like a magician? Because the only thing you see is his advertisement, which is this incredibly ominous. And then when you see him, and like his manager is Matt Berry, and he won't speak; he just grumbles, he just growls. Yeah, <laughs> and. Yeah. And so you spend the whole movie and she's like desperate to go see this event because she's in that, you know, she's, he's be her lover or whatever. Um, and that's the love triangle again is, is her, her pining after Beverly Laughlin. And then this Jermaine Clement is in love with her. And then she like just disregards him. And of course, you know where that's going. Um, but the rest of the movie, the insanity is based off of, you expecting it to go a certain way but then yeah there's this ongoing mystery of what an evening with beverly Laughlin entails yeah. and then it arrives and he's doing like these 
uh, like these British folk songs or something or Scottish. <laughs> I, I don't, Isn't one about being they're, like they're a like, baseball coach or something yeah, like that? Yeah. They're, they're, uh, He's playing was, like Irish folk songs. Yeah, like why did I become a football referee? Yeah. And these are, but these are songs that were written for the movie. I looked it up. Um, so it's not at all clear why, because it's built up. He has like this mystique, like the way people treat him. And it's like this larger than life thing. And he has to, he sits down and, and in this very high pitched voice sings these. Yeah. They want yeah, sound like a, these goofy old Irish, I don't know, pub songs or something. In, I don't, in a voice that is clearly not Craig Robinson. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you guys have laughed more just in describing what goes on than I laughed watching the movie. Cause just watching it, I'm just, it's just kind of like washing over me. Right. Right. Um, but then when you just, you ex- describe the drinks and this, these big fancy drinks with like a lot of, we said the whoppers, like the chocolate ones, like it's, so there's it's a chocolate it's, bar. It's like, in one yeah, of them. yeah. It's like whoppers piled in it for some reason. Yeah. Uh, it's I don't know in the moment it's just the thing they're drinking but the more you describe it the, the funnier I, it is to me yeah uh, it's it's just there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's just conceptually very funny so it's like you wouldn't it's sort of like a Napoleon Dynamite or to some degree like a Wes Anderson movie where it's like stuff that you don't laugh out loud at but it's like you're just it's one of those things you're like oh that's really funny <laughs> like and, that. and yet I, I cannot emphasize enough to the listeners Marina made it four minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. She, she, many, she, many she. people listening to this and your loved ones, even that will be a lot to ask. I cannot yeah. overstate yeah. how unfunny many of you think this mo- these movies both will be. <laughs> a lot of you will hate it's, these movies. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most shocking parts of this movie, by the way, was the first 10 seconds when the Universal logo came on yes. and it was like the big CGI logo and it was like, oh no, what did you guys do? <laughs> oh shit. Like that's such a, I can't believe, like it's, it's, I mean, it's a real movie, but like to treat it like that, like this is a movie. Like, can you imagine this thing in like a theater? <laughs> I would have, that would have been amazing. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I wonder um, if it was going to get... Because this, this mm-hmm. is one of those movies where like, it came out on Netflix, I think, just a few months ago. But the production date is like 2018. I don't know if this sat on somebody's No, I think shelf. this was out. 2000, yeah, 2018. It says October 19th. I think this has been out for a little while because I was aware of it for a little bit. I think it just turned up on Netflix recently. So maybe it was out for like on the pay the pay platforms yeah. for, for a while. So do you think, does, this play in, does this play in theaters? I can't see that it did. I, I it, just, it just says it might have they, had a limited theatrical run, like yeah. a premiere, you know. Um, but I, I, if I, like, the Greasy Strangler is definitely like the more unfiltered, raw, perfect representation of this guy. But if he has to tone it down for actors, like I want to see a movie he makes with John Malkovich and Jack Nicholson. Like if I had Jeff Bezos money, that's my that would be my primary goal is to just get this guy to direct the the most prestigious actors out there. Uh, yeah, or Tom Cruise would be the ideal Tom, oh, probably, oh, probably oh, the ideal yeah. star for something like this, but uh um, yeah, and there's something about 
Like not not to get off on Tom Cruise, but you know, <laughs> one thing that bothers me because Tom Cruise is so committed in a lot of ways. The whole thing he famously does his own stunts to the point that, like in Mission Impossible, whatever the last one was, five, I don't know, mm-hmm. like the helicopter stuff. He was flying the helicopter, like in this in in this Top Gun sequel, he's flying the plane. Like he he went out and learned how to fly a fighter jet. Okay, he will not make himself ugly for a movie. No, he will not Unless, let himself look like gross in a movie. He did for he did for Tropic Thunder. Yeah, right. But that was the bit. Yeah, like that, was that the, was yeah that was the bit. Um, yeah, um, and to be again to his credit, that was his idea. He was the one who's like, I think this guy needs like really hairy arms. Like I want yeah. prosthetic. <laughs> like I want six hours in a makeup chair because I've got a vision for what this guy's like really right. like sweaty and uh, you know. <laughs> um, but otherwise, like in the action movie stuff, you know, the guy's like 55 years old and is just, you know, he's like still like ripped and like he waxes his chest hair and he just, you know, looks at his, his hair is always beautiful. And then when he when he's been through like a helicopter accident, he's always got that little cut on the bridge of his nose. Like right. that's like the one wound he'll get on his face, like a little cut <laughs> on his cheek and that right on the bridge of his nose, that little bit, that pleasant little cut you can put there that kind of makes you look a little bit rugged but doesn't mess up your your face at all yeah there's something about actors that are willing to like just go to go all in on on something like the gracie strangler or whatever like i don't know if you could have because they the, the director even said that he wouldn't have made that if it hadn't been a group of unknowns because mm-hmm. otherwise it just becomes a stunt you know it's like oh we got tom cruise to throw his legs over his shoulders and fart at the camera and that's all they talk about. Like, I mean, oh, how, how Tom, yeah. <laughs> I would spend seventeen dollars to watch that. Uh, uh, right, but but the bit becomes we got Tom Cruise to do this. Yeah. yeah. As yeah. opposed to you're now in an alternate universe. You see, what I'm saying you're not watching it as a movie. You're watching it as oh look, that's Tom Cruise. It's that obnoxious thing that that some movies do when a guest star appears. I think Kevin Smith movies are kind of bad about this, where the camera pauses for you to applaud. Right, yeah. The Force mm-hmm. Awakens did it when uh, Harrison Ford walked onto the screen. It's like when he and Chewbacca walked into frame, and the, it just the shot just held for a moment because it's like, well, this is when everyone's applauding. Right, and it's like the movie and then, stops. It's like, look, it's Han Solo, everybody. Right. Decades later, people are going to be watching. Like, why is that pause there? That doesn't make any sense yeah. cinematically. And like in a Kevin uh, Smith movie, when like Matt Damon shows up, it is like pauses for a moment. It's like right. the joke is he's on screen. So it's it's almost. Uh, I admire the people that made in the, in the evening with Beverly Leflin because it is in some ways like so many people that watch this going to be like, what was she thinking? Because like, Aubrey Plaza can be in pretty much anything she wants, right? It, you know, it's she's. It's like, why does she have to be in this? It's like, well, she didn't yeah. have to be in this. Like, this is something she knew most people would hate, and that's what she and everyone else found interesting about it. Is just like everything about it is is wrong. It's like, oh, I've got to be, I've got to be a part of this because it was on the strength of the Greasy Strangler that they wanted to be in this, and and right. you know, it reminds me a lot of Crank. Because Crank was made in Jason Statham's career in a point where he didn't have to do a movie like Crank. He didn't need a scene where he's in a hospital gown with a visible erection. But he clearly, he wanted that. 
and then those directors went on to do a Ghost Rider movie. And they did it exactly the way they would. And there's like interviews with Nicolas Cage where he's like, yeah, you just sort of, they tell you to do something, you do it. Like, because that's what actors do. That is the, so that like, is the Ghost Rider movie where in, wherein Ghost Rider famously pees fire. Yeah, and Nicolas Cage says like, yeah, they ask you, they say, okay, you're going to be pissing fire in this scene. You're like, okay, I guess I am. Because a lot of actors are, that's what they do. They're just like, yeah, I do, I do the thing. I do the thing they told me to do. That's what they're paying me to do. Um, it's just very funny how like, yeah, no questions asked. Okay, yeah. Well, All right, Jason, in this scene, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have a, uh, you're going to be in a hospital gown and you're going to ride on a motorcycle and you're going to have an erection. And Jason Statham's just like, okay, yeah. That's, <laughs> sure, man. I, I'm going to assume it'll look good at, later. In well, Nicholas Cage's case, I do feel like he could maybe take an extra moment to consider the roles. Like, I, there, he may be too <laughs> open to, to yeah, doing literally true. the first thing he's asked to do. Yeah, if you've ever seen the movie Between Worlds, it's a very good case for what you're saying. Right, there's, yeah... Yeah, <laughs> Nick Cage is a very different beast <laughs> than what we're talking about. He would be, he would be, and he would do the thing in this movie where he'd flip over and fart at the camera. He might, like he, he re- might, he really might. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like everybody's in this. Everybody's in Beverly Loughlin because they wanted to be in Beverly Loughlin. Yeah. Like the, I'm sure these people probably came to the director, right? Something like that, yeah. or at the very least, they, as I mentioned, they work for a fraction of what they would normally can normally ask yeah. for. I mean, Craig Robinson has you know been the lead in sitcoms before. You know, he he's had his own shows at least briefly. Like he can ask for a decent amount of money to be in your thing. Like you get all of these people, and there's like six pretty big names in this. Mm-hmm. They're all working at a discount. And that that's something I kind of love, and especially. You know, like uh, Elijah Wood seems to his his post Lord of the Rings career and and Daniel Radcliffe's post Harry Potter career. They both have really made a mission to get like weird stuff made and yeah. to be in some weird stuff and to make themselves ugly. Uh, I don't know if you guys have talked about the Swiss Army Man no. movie that uh, maybe one for the next episode, but that's a case where that's a, that's a performer like having no like regard for well i need to look a certain level of cool like i you know i'm still me i still got a brand to protect like he's playing a corpse uh with an erection that's constantly farting uh and you know and he and it's not it's not just that gimmick like it's it's a in the entire movie's propelled from that uh, I I don't know I really admire that because you can see the people like that taking the occasional big role that kind of pay, right. pays for the other stuff, right? Um, like like he's in now you see me too. Like it's after Harry Potter, it's like this sea of really weird shit, and then now you see me too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's like, just coming up coming up for a little money, grabbing yeah, that money, yeah. going back down. I mean, I'm sure he's fine. He made seven of them Harry Potter movies or eight. Yeah, of them. I think I, th- I think he's doing oh great. <laughs> Um, Elijah would as well, but that's that is yeah, and in that case, maybe less about money and more about just maintaining a certain profile so you can still get like projects over the line. But that's, no, that's true, uh, yeah. where would we be without people who use their fame that way? It's like I'm now going to 
you know, uh, and I guess to, to a different degree, like George Clooney kind of did this for a while where it's like he could have just kept being different versions of Batman or could have went out to be, I don't know, an American James Bond or whatever, but instead took his superstardom and kind of got these, you know, uh, smarter movies made or, you know, stuff that, again, if you don't attach his name to it, it just doesn't get made. Yeah. It's. Yeah, Elijah Wood is a big one for that because, yeah, freaking Color Out of Space and Mandy, that's huge. He also did Daniel Isn't Real, which is, mm-hmm. I've yet to see that, but that's apparently really good. I liked it, yeah. Yeah. It's on, it's on, it's on Shudder. Oh, okay. He's, he's great in uh, Come to Daddy as well. That's another, that's a, that's a movie, again, writer of The Greasy Strangler, and it's not a dignified role. I think there's there's a mainstream version of this, which is Wes Anderson, right? Is like whenever an actor sticks themselves in a Wes Anderson film, that's the equivalent of like I'm going to do a weird indie thing. Yeah. And then there's this level, right? Where they're yeah. like, no, 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 that's not the weird indie thing. It's this. Oh well, now I would also. Oh, go on. Now that you mention it, I guess Wes Anderson also does a thing where. It's like the non-gross version of this where yes. everyone is very stilted in how they speak. Like, no one shows, like, genuine emotion. It's all this very, everything's very deadpan. Yeah. And they're very, like, they they stand very upright and arrange themselves. And it's like that, that dollhouse style where the actors are kind of, I don't know, they're not playing. They're, like, robotic or something. It, mm-hmm. uh, um, it's kind of... I guess a, a similar, I don't even, there's probably a word for that school of filmmaking or theater where people are not, are they're speaking in like a very unnatural way. And maybe I don't, I'm not educated enough to know what it's called, but it's clearly right. distinctly a thing, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you see yeah. five minutes of a Wes Anderson movie, you know what it is. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's different levels of it. I think, uh, there's, there's like, like I would argue like, Kevin Smith or Diablo Cody films also have this. They don't talk like humans or, or Tarantino. Um, but then there's the ones where it's like this really dry version where everybody's very unemotional. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what to call it either. Yeah. And like I in a Wes th- Anderson movie, if you see two characters in bed, they're like both laying stiff as a board the yeah. sheets are like laying over them perfectly. There's, it's like arranged. It's not natural. It's not two human beings in bed at all. It, it's like an arranged scene, and it's just yeah. this ultra specific aesthetic that takes a ton of work and a ton of effects work and set work. Like it's very difficult to pull off. I don't necessarily like it, and mm-hmm. I, I, Wes Anderson movies turn me off for that reason. I can't connect with them because it's like these aren't. These aren't people. It's I, I don't. It's it's too cutesy or something. But that's I'm the only person I know who thinks that. It's too artificial. Oh, I know other people who are not a fan of Wes Anderson. Oh, okay. Because uh, he is. He. It's a very. I think anybody like that. I'm. I. I've gotten slowly turned off by Tarantino. Um, and it. I don't think it's the filmmaker's fault. I think it's like cilantro, right? Where it's like, it's a very strong flavor. And some people are just going to not like it uh, because because it's just very distinct. It's very specific. I do think this movie, An Evening with Beverly Lynn, now that I think about it, I think that's the type of movie that this movie is specifically playing off of and spoofing. Like the ending of this film is very indie comedy. 
it's just them saying I love you to each other in in separate beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the whole movie, when you think of it through the lens of like a movie like Nebraska or or a Wes Anderson film, where it's like a quirky indie comedy road trip, that's really what this is. But they're just replacing everything with with absolute nonsense yeah and at no point have these two ever done anything to endear themselves to each other yes. at all there's not one <laughs> millisecond of chemistry or fun or them sharing a joke or a moment or anything they're just they in have proximity and they fall in love because as you said earlier that's what happens in these movies and it's always just as nonsense and those movies too that two people have known yeah. each other for one day would suddenly you know, they went on an adventure together for one afternoon and now they've got a lifelong bond. That's just as nonsense as this. They don't yeah. hear they don't even bother with that part. It's just that at the end they say, I, I love you. To, and that's that's it. All right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? They la- they dance. They have one yeah, ridiculous dance, dance yes. scene. Because, <laughs> again, why why do they have to dance normal? What does it matter? Yeah. Oh, the dance man. <laughs> It's great. It's terrific <laughs> when, dancing. When Jermaine sneaks up to the house and you can see Shane and uh, Tyrone and Carl dancing inside, that's like that. <laughs> that might be the hardest I laughed at this movie. <laughs> and they're dancing. Are they celebrating having stolen the furry lockbox, or are they just yes. having a party? And that's what they <laughs> do: is they just dance. Like, why are they in there dancing? Is it even? Is there even music playing? There's. I think there is music playing, and it's it's uh, the movie. It seems to be suggesting that they're celebrating a successful heist, even though it was a complete clusterfuck. Right. <laughs> and again, in any other movie, it'd be them like drinking beers and yeah. like having a good time. No, they're they're dancing. They're they're yeah, they're doing a real um, Danny McBride and and Yorma Tacone and Hot Rod mm. dance. Yeah, <laughs> it's like being real ridiculous. Yeah, and doesn't the box have like six hundred dollars in it or something like that? It, something it's like some that. trivial yeah, it's, amount of money, it's, right? It's a very small amount of money, and like Jermaine was hired for two hundred dollars. Yeah, to, so he brings up <laughs> his two hundred dollars a few times. And also, the escalation of the lockbox is simply that they, it's about wanting to buy a new TV. He has to let her go from the coffee place. Yeah, uh, and then she complains about a new TV. And they keep talking about how this person, he saves. You don't it's save. Her, it's her and brother. It's, just, it's her brother, yeah. And it's like, he saves. He doesn't save. And he's like, I save. And then it's just, I'm going to steal his lockbox mm-hmm. <laughs> with a handful of money in it to it's, buy, apparently, a new TV. It's another piece of uh, just the movie's bizarre universe is that her brother is clearly Indian or Pakistani. Um but they just and he's wearing this real ridiculous Ronald McDonald hair yeah and no, it just nobody ever addresses it like nobody ever no doesn't matter yeah you know, it's like it, it's like she references having grown up with him so it's it's just like doesn't matter yeah, what does it matter who cares I mean yeah I mean obviously yeah you know it's, it could be adopted or she could be adopted but it's just like the movie right. doesn't even go that far like it's just like no. yeah they're that's that's her brother it's like okay sure does it even say they what, what nothing act, what's his last name does it even say um, I don't remember his. I remember his name's AJ, but they don't. Okay. Willis, I think. I I'm looking at IMDb. Okay, I don't remember if they ever yeah. say it in the movie, but they might have. Oh man, is he's the same guy that from the tour group in the in the Greasy Strangler? Yeah, that wanted the potato chips, and then she's eating yeah. a, a huge bag of the same chips he was trying to buy. Right. 
Ah, see, I didn't. Yeah, catch it all comes that. together. Yep, it's it. It exists in the same universe as the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> not not to spoil the Greasy Strangler for those of you who are about to go to go watch it, but the potato chip scene he keeps referencing. It's an argument that goes on for what feels like two and a half hours about how one guy struggles to pronounce the word potato because he's yeah. he's foreign, and this keeps asking him over and over and over again, "What are the chips made of?" Mm. And they just loop his answer basically. Yeah, like it's, it's the, the same, same shot recording. and the same delivery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it goes on for a very long time. Well, I'm fascinated by how many people listening want to now go watch one or both of these movies. If you've got Netflix, look, An Evening with Beverly Loughlin is free and is the more palatable of the two. I would would venture a guess that if you dislike it, probably should not pay the four bucks for the greasy mm-hmm. strangler on on amazon prime although it's again i i don't know you know i know you guys heard tom say that he watched it on ad supported imdb tv i don't know if the ads would hurt the experience of the greasy strangler or enhance it a lot it was it was really jarring a few times because they, <laughs> yeah. they just have to find where an ad break goes and then you cut from this completely surreal alternate universe to just like the hyper sanitized uh, universe of of television commercials. So it's, it's kind of art. Yeah. You're describing like a new a, yeah. a new level of art. <laughs> Get some real whiplash watching this yeah. movie that way. Do you have I, yeah, I, each of you? Do you have either of you? Do you have a lot of friends you would recommend one or both of these movies to? Like if outside of the context of this this conversation, like if they just asked you, like what's a funny movie you've seen recently? Do you have people who you know would love one or both of these movies? I have friends that first of all, I believe Michael Swaim enjoys this movie. Yeah. Oh, I, okay. I don't. Yeah. I I I I hope I'm correctly. Uh, representing him here but i'm pretty sure he told me he enjoyed this movie and i think for the same reason we're talking about it um yeah but i i'm not going to speculate i can't Um, i wouldn't it'd be amazing if he was like i thought it was terrifying an effective horror film (laughs) yeah like he really Uh, likes it but like for a really strange reason yeah an erotic thriller (laughs) uh no, I I have friends that I would show this to, and worst case scenario, they have a terrible time. But they're you know I've known them forever, so I'm just like, sure. I, I can't imagine not? anyone outside of like my comedy friends enjoying this movie. <laughs> I friends I I have a lot of friends that like in college years we would get super super high and watch Space Ghost. And I can I I have to imagine those people would enjoy this. Oh yeah, you know I'm I'm th- like yeah, I have a couple of friends that might like it. But yeah, it's yeah. you really have to think. Like. It reminds me of I've I've referenced this time before where I would go to this indie video store and go to their cult section and just randomly grab a movie. And sometimes that's it would be like a John Waters film. A lot of the times. Um, and just get super high and watch that movie with a bunch of friends. And we ended up watching some extremely messed up things. Uh, and it, it just gives me those vibes again. Oh, where yeah. There was a, a time and it's like when you're younger, I think you have more of a tolerance for that. Right. Because when I'm when you get to a certain age, you're like, I don't have time for this. Like, right. Well, like I, is, can't, I can't imagine 
you know, like I, I watched like kids and like the Doom Generation and kind yeah, of the same Doom way. Doom Generation. Like Holy I can't imagine shit. sitting down to watch kids right now, like as a as a, a guy in his late thirties. <laughs> like, right. No, but I f- and that. I feel like, especially as like a teenager, some of the appeal of things you watch and listen to is I know the grown-ups would hate this. Yes. Or my friends, oh, yeah. the cool friend, the cool jocks at school and the cheerleaders, they would hate this. So the fact that they would hate it, you're not even enjoying it, but you're right. enjoying the fact that you're watching it and they would hate it if it makes sense. It's a rebellion thing, you know, and it's like when I was 14 years old and listening to gangster rap. I didn't have any context for what I'm listening to. It's just I knew right. that my, you know, my parents would hate it, and and the I could feel the energy of it, and and obviously it's, you know, it's some it's being made by actual musical geniuses, so it's you know it's good music, and it, but I I'm only listening to it because it's like oh yeah I, this is outside of what normal people like, and that makes me cool and and smart and whatever. Uh, a lot of that stuff doesn't hold up when you're in your 40s yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, well that's that's that realization i think is that like when you're young you're like oh man marilyn manson shocks adults and then you learn as you get older like no i didn't shock them they just like had alice cooper and they were like yeah yeah we've seen it like we're not it's not like like offensive jokes when like adults didn't laugh when you're a kid it wasn't necessarily because it was offensive it's just because they've heard it all yeah, as you get older, and you're like, no, it's just not funny. A good like, example. It's not, would I'm not be, shocked. Would be a kid like thinking that you that you didn't like you know some poop jokes from Austin Powers three because you're like old and that's too gross for you. But the right. old person grew up on John Waters. Uh, right. It's like no, I'm I'm watching a lame version of that. <laughs> it's like yeah someday we'll both sit down and watch pink flamingos together <laughs> but uh, uh for now no this is this is boring i can see what marilyn manson is doing he's a guy who is is not maybe super great at playing the music and has figured out that well you know makeup and 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 weird contact lenses uh scares teenagers and and they think that's dangerous and it's like oh that guy's okay yeah. I've seen that guy. I've seen that guy before. That guy's been around forever, and this is not even a very interesting iteration of it. But <laughs> right. I like that Alice, With- Alice Cooper just make just writes like books about golf on the <laughs> side. Well, and like well, G- I think Gene Simmons is, is like has like a conservative Twitter. Is he? I, I remember yeah, maybe confusing I, him with somebody else. But he's like he's like cranky about like when did they? Yeah. There's not enough chicken in this canned soup anymore. Yep, yep, that's it's it. like Andy. It's like Andy Rooney is just like complaints that's about uh, like, like oh, the golf course was. We had to wait for 45 minutes. To, it's like oh god, is this is this what we're all headed for? Danzig also had a uh, yeah. a, a soup demands. <laughs> Danzig wanted French onion soup for like some festival, and like uh, like really really like caused a big problem with his demand for <laughs> soup. So he wanted French onion soup because he's Danzig. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, all that said, I would say the Greasy Strangler did surprise me. No, I, I I cannot emphasize enough for anyone listening to this. I am so happy that this movie can exist. Yeah. It is expensive to make a movie. It is hard to make a movie. It is hard to get a movie made. It is hard to get a cast and crew together and to get it released where people can see it. That a movie this weird can still make it in front of my eyeballs and then get be influential enough that the people involved got more work. 
Yeah. Something about the system is working because there's not enough weird stuff in the world. Art, it's supposed to be weird. If it's art is not weird, it's useless. And right. if all comedy is just the same five situations and the same like gross out jokes and the same teenage rebellion stuff, and it's the same setup and punchline that you can feel coming a mile away, and it's the same uh, kind of, you know where even the nerds are sexy and the ugly girl would be the hottest girl in your high school in real life. And if that's comedy and if it's, I don't know, the Judd Apatow thing where you can just tell they just ad-libbed 20 versions of the same line and edited it together and it's not interesting in how it's shot and it's just... Right. I don't know. There's, like, like, thank God. I know 80% of the people that watch The Greasy Strangler will just will turn it off. They're not going to make it into a few scenes in. But, uh, man, I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad stuff mm-hmm. like this is still being made. Uh, thank God for Elijah Wood and, and people like him. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's how I start every day, by thanking God praise, for Elijah praise. Wood. Yeah, you have a shrine. <laughs> Because he could have had, there's so many directions his career could have taken. He could have taken a very comfortable path for the rest of his life and just signed autographs at Lord of the Rings conventions or, right. or whatever. But uh, he parlayed that into, it's like, no, the stuff that's not currently getting made because it's not profitable. We're going to find a way to make it, get it made on a budget, and get it out in front of the the sliver of people who will love it to death i think come to daddy is a great movie i, I think that's that's a legitimately like a like a good that that is a movie i, would I really recommend to people yeah um, i really enjoyed come to daddy um, it's a uh, weird but it's 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 very it, the way it's set up is really well done and it's interesting and it's it has actual characters and and uh <laughs> there's you know emotional growth and everything it is also very gory and all of that but um no, I, I a, like that movie a lot. There's a moment in Come to Daddy where they briefly travel into the Greasy Strangler universe, I feel like. Oh, man, I need to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it dips in just... It, it's kind of the same way that you can watch like a Spider-Man movie and see a little glimpse of the evil dead in there. Oh, because yeah, it's sure. like Sam Raimi go, does just a little bit, just a little bit of evil dead stuff, and then and then it's back to the... It's kind of that. Like it's got a, it's it's there for a flavor, but it doesn't take place like really in an alternate universe. It, it's I mean, yeah. and uh, it, any more than any other movie would. You know, it's like it's very gory in a way that violence is not really. But uh, no, no, another one I would recommend. Yeah. So, uh, but in terms of whether or not I would recommend uh, Evening of Beverly Laughlin again, if you've got Netflix, it's it's free. It's a, yeah. you can, yep. you can you try can, it. You, can. you will know very quickly whether or not because we can tell you the way it starts out, it will keep going like that. It's, it it never yeah, rises above that tempo. Yeah, for the don't don't say, "Well, I'll, I'll stick with it, see if it gets better." No, if if you're turned off by the, the opening scene, that's you, you've made enough time investment. You are free to go to go watch something else and to never watch the Greasy Strangler. But if for some of the people listening to this, these will be your favorite movies of the year if you've not seen them yet yeah. there's a specific personality type if you are if you find yourself easily bored by mainstream movies or just even most movies you watch uh, and you just feel like you've seen everything which that's my deal I, I i'm old enough now i feel like i've seen every movie like even if i've even if it's a new movie it's yeah. like i've seen the trailer it's like i've seen that movie yeah i've not seen the like specific a, I, movie 
I know what this is doing, even if the movie thinks it's weird. Because these days, it's like, well, if the movie has some, like, neon in it, the critics are, are like, it's a surreal carnival of madness, a feast right. for the eyes. It's like, okay, no, it's it's got it's got like a weird soundtrack and some pink neon it that's that's not enough to that's not enough to blow my mind anymore uh these movies made i will not forget the greasy strangler for the rest of my life there are individual lines in the greasy strangler that i will never forget for the rest of my life uh and and i that is an achievement i i salute it yeah 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 I i say that's pretty much yeah I, I say people should just dive right into the Greasy Strangler. Buy it on Amazon. Yeah. Just immediately purchase it. Don't rent it. Buy forever. it. Buy Don't it so it. you can watch it. Yeah. So it will be in your library forever. You literally cannot yeah. delete it on Amazon as far as I know. <laughs> it will be there for your you and your family to enjoy into the next generation. You can share, yeah. share it with your, <laughs> it with your children. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. No, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm right there, too. It's... I'm so happy I've seen this movie. Yeah, it's. it's I a, probably will never watch I, it. Yeah, again. I don't oh, know if I'm no. ever going to watch it again. No, no, we'll no, no. I'll, I won't even consider watching it again. <laughs> I cannot stop thinking about the greasy grapefruit scene. Oh my it's just god! Like, yeah. Oh god! Damn. Briefly describe the greasy grapefruits for people who are not quite sold. They've not. They've not made up their mind yet. For the fence sitters out there, describe the greasy grapefruit scene. <laughs> Big Ronnie is having his breakfast, and like everything, he puts grease on everything he eats. So he he covers his grapefruit with grease, and I believe Janet's there. Yeah, and he's trying to seduce Janet. So he starts sensually massaging the grapefruit for I don't know how long t- three hours. Yeah, Did that it, it, last it, three it, hours. It felt like about fourteen hours. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 very it's it's. You, you just have to see it you yeah. just you gotta watch the movie at least once. or not yeah I, I don't know you'll know very quickly like we said <laughs> yeah um if you watch beverly luff and you're like i need more grease i like this movie but i need it to be greasier then go and watch the greasy yeah, strangler. i want this i like this movie but i wish it made me physically ill then watch yeah. the greasy strangler yeah. uh yeah this is almost like and you know an epilepsy warning where it's like hey it has a lot of strobe lights in it if you get queasy easily watching movies don't bother yeah don't, yeah. don't even bother it's like one of the yeah. foulest movies i've ever seen uh, it will make you yeah. physically ill and this is yeah. i know we just recommended people watch yeah. it just like like 40 seconds ago but it also some of you will make you physically ill and you will be physically unable to keep watching it but how yeah. many movies have you seen can really say that yeah right i don't that's normally have a problem yeah that's not normally a problem for me and it made me physically ill watching it my stomach hurt i was grossed out oh man yeah um well i think that's i think we can probably wrap it up um yeah yeah i think that's a sewed i think we did it jason thank you so much yeah. thank you so much for bringing this to us to yeah. our attention you're welcome all of the listeners who are bound to watch one or both of these movies are all are also welcome and to the the makers of the greasy strangler who will hopefully notice a spike in their amazon rentals and yeah and the residuals check that where they i assume they get like knowing amazon they probably get like 45 cents every time somebody rents right. uh, rents yeah. the movie um imdb will be like let's put the good ads on that one everybody's watching it 
Uh, oh, we got to plug my book. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, please. the book is now less than a couple months away called Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. You can find it by Googling that title at any place that sells books or going to the counter of your local bookstore, wear a mask and say, I want to reserve a copy of Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick by David Wong, a.k.a. Jason Pargin. Uh, there's people in the world that have read it. They seem to they seem to be pretty positive on it. <laughs> uh, and please, if you know an author, not, not, not even my book, if you know any authors and they're asking you to pre-order their book, it is extremely important that you pre-order the book because what that does is there's this chicken or the egg thing where the books that sell are the ones that bookstores have chosen to stock. Like when a new uh, J.K. Rowling book or something she releases under her pseudonym, they'll buy 8,000 copies of it and have like a mountain of her book in the middle of the store. And because they've bought all of those, those are the ones that sell because they're very visible because the sheer mass of the books they bought yeah, right. <laughs> is the promotion. In order for your book to sell, bookstores have to buy a lot of copies how bookstores decide how many copies to buy is by how many pre-orders they have and so the pre-orders is how they judge what demand is like and then based on what demand is like that is how they dictate what is sold so if you know a friend or somebody who is saying hey please pre-order the book and you're like well you know i'll, I'll grab it once it's out i'll grab it i'm telling you you are helping them tremendously, especially if they are not a superstar author. And I know a lot of you are friends with superstar authors. Mm -hmm. If you know just normal people authors, pre-orders are everything. So do it. Yeah. Everybody do it. What, what, are, you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Uh, it's, it's, it's right there. It's waiting for you. Oh, man. Dave. I'm very excited about it. Oh, yeah, um, sure. Uh, uh, did you, Tom? Did you want me to plug? I think I do. Yeah, I would. I would say? love for you to do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a Patreon. If people want to check it out, Patreon.com/slash Gamefully Unemployed. There's exclusive podcasts there, like Tom and Jeff Watch Batman, and Fox Mulder is a Maniac. You can check it out uh, right now. Woo. Um, we also have a store, tpublic.com/slash store/slash Gamefully Unemployed, where you can get T-shirts, mugs, stickers, posters, masks, all kinds of stuff. If you want or not, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't care. We should. <laughs> I want to sell a mask with Jason's book. I would like a copy of, I would like to pre-order or like written on the mask. Yeah. So you can then go to the bookstore. You don't have to say a word. They just see, you just and point you to just the mask point to and the they mask. know. Yeah. And it's very efficient. Yep. So you're, you're being safe and you're also, uh, uh, helping, helping Jason out. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's it. it. <laughs> we did it. We you did guys. It. Until next time. Um, I feel yeah. Till next time. Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>